Well, welcome everybody to the very first episode of ABL Down on the Farm, a prospect dedicated podcast, excuse me, dedicated to all things prospects, but most particularly to prospects in the ABL, a 30-team dynasty league with 20 spots on each team for minor leaguers for a grand total of 600 gorgeous prospects to evaluate and talk about and debate. Um, and uh, tonight we've got two very special guests, uh, Duke from the Pittsburgh Pirates and Jeff from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, and they're going to be joining me tonight. I'm the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, as most of you know. Uh, and we're going to be talking about various topics that are hopefully interesting to you. Uh, so without further ado, because we have a lot to cover, I'm going to bring in Jeff. And I'm going to bring in Duke. There you guys are. Uh, I think we got it right this time. Um, so, uh, guys, I'm very happy to have you guys on the show, and thank you so much for joining. I couldn't think of two better people to be on the first one because we talked about prospects a lot over the years. Um, and we're very fortunate tonight to have uh, Duke on because he is the godfather of the ABL, the back-to-back defending champion, and um, you know, the only champion so far in the ABL, and hopefully nobody can knock off the curtain eventually. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure Duke wants to defend the title again. Uh, and poor Jeff keeps looking up the ladder at uh, Duke, um, relegated to the fact that he can only finish at best third, I guess, <laughs> for the moment. But maybe you can change that this year. Uh, but Duke, before we dove into the various topics we're going to be talking about tonight, I thought it would be fun to just give a little background for the uninitiated or the new to the ABL um, or the um, Armchair Fantasy Network generally about how you started this and got involved and what Jeff roles may have been in, in the process. Yeah, so this started up, I guess, a little over two years ago. Um, yeah, almost two and a half years ago. I think it was like December. Was that right? No, it was like the year before COVID, I think, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, Jeff was actually the first person that I kind of hooked up with um, when I was trying to start a 30-teamer. So I, I, my initial interest, I, w- I had joined some Facebook groups. Uh, I was in a dynasty league with Sam. Uh, I don't, I've only been playing dynasty for four or five years. Uh, Sam kind of actually got me into it. <clears throat> he just invited, it's like, it was just a free league with some of his buddies. They needed an extra person. And we had played just like redraft in the past. Um, so Sam invited me to his league and I really got into the prospect side of things and the dynasty aspect. Of fantasy baseball so that was like my first taste and kind of what got me interested and and i realized pretty quickly that like the i think it was just a 12 team dynasty league that was free and it, it it kind of wet my whistle but i wasn't getting everything i wanted out of it so i was like well let's just go all in and do a 30 teamer so my my first idea was to do like the the the, the actual franchise draft I, I got sucked into like a Facebook group where he wanted to do that. And I realized pretty quickly that that's kind of a lame format. I, I know some people love that, but I, it's not my thing um, to just get stuck with a bunch of players that you have, you know, no involvement in actually drafting. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the, the first, um, you know, the first idea for ABL was, was based on that league I played with Sam and then, Started recruiting on Roto World. I think, like I said, Jeff was the first person I found, and he helped me a lot um, with kind of developing the constitution for ABL and all my other leagues, and and then eventually moving over to Discord, which was which was huge, um, because that's the 
you know, the, the setup on Discord is great for what we for what we have going and with all the leagues. So, yeah, that's that's really it. Just kind of fell in love with Dynasty a couple of years ago and jumped in head first. Well, you guys have certainly helped create a very dynamic league. So kudos to you. I mean, this is a league that has hundreds and hundreds of trades. Almost, it seems like almost on a daily basis, but uh, certainly every month uh, there are hundreds of trades at a time. And um, Jeff, you, you you actually recruited me into it, and I know you guys have recruited folks from other leagues over the years. Um, and uh, I think we have a good group of guys, and it's a it's a challenging endeavor to keep up with everything that's going on in the ABL. And we actually have multiple podcasts now in the league, which is great. Um, I know we have another podcast on prospects coming up. I look forward to hearing about that. Um, but um, I don't know, Jeff, did you want to add anything about your experience getting involved in ABL? Yeah, Duke captured it well. We were playing together in a smaller Roto League, which is Flug, which is still still part of the network. It's kind of changed a little bit over the years, but uh, I don't remember how I kind of found my way into that, that league, but that's where I first met Duke. And, and as, as the season was wrapping down, I think, Duke and I found ourselves talking a lot about baseball even after the season, and we ended up doing a bunch of best balls, and that's where we found TDBC and other things. And the fact that we were still talking about baseball in November and December kind of, uh, as soon as Duke kind of floated the idea of this 30 team, or you know, I was on board, and we started to try to find some other nuts that were interested in kind of year-round baseball and a dynasty league that would be real over the top and. Yeah, I mean, Duke's the, this is his brainchild. He wrote the best constitution I've ever seen for a fantasy league. And uh, the leagues continue to evolve and change and grow. I think a lot of us have, as, as, as openings have come up in ABL over the years, uh, like people have reached out to their other people that are really good players in other leagues and being like, you would love this league. It's got so much trading. It's got so much conversation. If you're going to play Dynasty Baseball, this is the league for you. And that, that's why I brought you in, Steve, because you were awesome and the other leagues uh, you're too kind. You're too kind. It's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of uh, you know interesting characters in the league too. I think which makes it uh, even more entertaining. So uh, and a lot, a lot of dedicated players, uh, and everybody has different styles. And so you know, I think that's one of the interesting things. And I think I know that each one of us has kind of a different approach when it comes to prospecting and dealing with prospects. And so I'm looking forward to that discussion because I think um, we all have a lot of respect for each other in terms of the talent that we accumulate, but we go about it in a very different way. And, um, you know, we have different likes and dislikes. And so that's one of the things I thought would be fun to talk about. Um, you know, Duke, you mentioned something about being, re- you know, new, relatively new to Dynasty um, you know, Baseball. And uh, what did you like about it? What attracted you to it that was different than, for example, redrafts or keeper leagues for you? Yeah, I think uh, a couple things. One is the fact that you basically have so many different options as far as strategy goes. Um, you know, redraft, especially Roto, there's there's really only like one or two strategies you can take to build a team that can actually win. And there's a couple like kooky ones, like the Marmol strategy and a, c- a couple crazy things you can do. But um, But it's really just kind of like, I hate to say this because I still love Roto, but it's kind of like redraft roto is just kind of luck of the draw. Like you're just kind of hoping that the players you draft don't get injured. And if they don't, then you're going to have a good season. And if they do, you're kind of screwed. But in dynasty, like you're never, you're never out of it. Like nobody should be checking out in like August and September, even if you're in last place, because there's things you can be doing 
to build for next year. So it's true, like 10, 11 month a year commitment. You sound um, a little bit like Joe and saying from the Dodgers and saying that it's luck, luck based in terms of Roto at least. Um, so I'm sure he, yeah, kick out of that. I hate, I mean, redraft, it, it really is just like luck of the draw with the injuries. And I mean, yes, there are things you can do to like, you know, for player evaluation and things like that to make sure, sure you set yourself up to, for the best chance to win. But yeah, but I just, you know, a lot of people just check out in by the all-star break. And I, right. I hated that. All right. So for you, it sounds like it's really kind of the, the extra dynamic of like planning for this year, next year and five years from now. That's kind of interesting to you. Yeah, 100 percent. And then I kind of just got sucked into the whole prospect evaluation, trading, speculation side of it, which is super fun. And because I love baseball, it kind of just adds a different flavor to it. Yeah, you know, for, for me, the dynasty aspect, the thing that I like the best out of it. I mean, I like all the things that you identified as well. Um, but it's really enriched my enjoyment of baseball because I feel much more connected to the game uh, by like studying these prospects. And then when they, when they get promoted, I know who they are, even if they're not on my team. And, you know, I can have talks, conversations with my friends. And now my friends will call me when one of the prospects for their team gets called up and then, hey, is this guy any good? <laughs> right. So they're right. going to me for that. And, um, you know, that's kind of fun and to be you know that plugged into these players um and oftentimes from when they're 16 years old uh, all the way to the reaching the majors and you learn a lot about different systems and how baseball teams are actually constructed and then you try to emulate that with your dynasty team with varying <laughs> degrees of success or failure but what about you jeff i see you're, you're shaking your head a lot i'm curious to hear from you about what you like about it nope you think you're on mute big guy thank you, you uh I played fantasy football for a long time before fantasy baseball, and that fantasy football really is very luck-based. To me, fantasy baseball is, like, so much more interesting, and there's – you can really geek out on the numbers. You know, I know people that are – they don't even really like baseball that are they love fantasy baseball just because you can look for the patterns and the numbers and come up with so many different strategies, like Duke was saying. And the dynasty aspect of it is the best part, you know, following the prospects, valuing them yourself, uh, figuring out how, how you're – rankings kind of line up against the market working dynasty trades and of course like you mentioned kind of following these kids from when they're 16 17 years old up to the point when they actually make the majors and trying to be patient enough to not give up on them when they struggle right away and uh it just kind of like i, I went to some spring training games for the first time this year and saw a lot of prospects that you know i, I knew that i would never have known if i didn't play dynasty baseball Yep. I was kind of talking to some of the old timers who were sitting next to me at the game and being like, oh, no, this kid's going to be great. I know all about him, you know, and uh, the kid hasn't even got out of low A ball yet, you know. So it's yeah, uh, fun. It's just fun to geek out on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you love baseball, you're going to love Dynasty and Prospects and you can really dig into it. Um, and there is that strategy element that Duke was mentioning as well. And we'll get into that a little bit tonight. Um, so, look, we have a lot to cover this evening. I, I set a very ambitious agenda for episode one. And you know, we're really going to cover a handful of topics, but each one of them will be a deep dive. We're going to talk about the ABL Prospect Handbook, uh, which is my brainchild and <laughs> probably going to end up being the bane of my existence creating this thing. Um, but we're also going to be talking about our general prospecting strategies um, and approaches, um, as well as the ABL Prospect Draft that we just concluded very recently. And I'm interested in to hear, to hearing about some of your crushes and fades, as I like to call them. Um, you know, that we had going into the draft and seeing what you guys thought would work or didn't work. Um, 
So look, I think it makes sense to start with the um, ABL Prospect Handbook. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll put that up on the screen for people so they can see it uh, and then we can talk about it. Um, but you know, like I said, this is a very uh, ambitious endeavor on my part. And um, you know, it's an attempt to um, really kind of, uh, and there's Jordan Walker, the number one prospect in the ABL handbook. Um, and uh, we, we can talk a little bit about Jordan and the in intense hype that is going on about him right now uh, in drafts. I was just in a um, NFBC uh, draft this weekend and Jordan Walker went for $13, uh, which I thought was incredible uh, on a 260 budget. Uh, and this is, a, you know, a league that is purportedly involving a lot of experts. Um, you know, and just, it shows kind of the enthusiasm of, of prospects and the hype machine that is, uh, you know, fantasy baseball. Um, but to talk about the prospect handbook a little bit more to set up our discussion, you know, it's really an effort to rate um, all 600 prospects that were held in ABL on a certain date. Um, this date was February 23rd this year. Um, and I had to pick a control date because people are crazy about trades in this league. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been constantly updating it. Um, but I really tried to objectively rate the prospects on six uh, different criteria. And then each of those criteria were rated. And they're on the screen now. Um, the driving force with 80% was the overall scouting grade from two major sources, Baseball America, Baseball HQ. Uh, I could have picked other sources. Uh, those are two sources that I trust and I've used many times over the years. Uh, they're kind of my bread and butter. Uh, so I use them. Um, and since it was my handbook, I, I got to pick <laughs> for better or worse. Um, and then the next biggest factor at 8% was the ceiling risk factor. In other words, what is the risk that the prospect isn't going to achieve his grade? Um, and, you know, the level of potential that he has. Um, so those are the two biggest factors at 88% total, um, which really tried to anchor the grades uh, to skill and risk. And you'll see the other elements there all relate to those factors to one degree or another as well. Uh, so really almost 100% is related to skill or risk. Uh, that was the idea. And we'll talk about how this played out and kind of what that uh, resulted in, because I think the um, the prospect handbook is certainly, as I put in the introduction, not perfect. Uh, we can talk about things we thought were kind of anomalous or you know outliers. Um, and I'm thinking about ways to improve it for next year um, and interested in everybody's suggestions in doing so. But um, you know, one of the things we were able to do with the prospect guide is generate um, ranking systems for the entire league. Um, and, you know, with a numeric number, uh, and that's basically the aggregate of all the prospects on a given team's roster. And you can see tonight we've got three of the top six teams, according to the handbook at least, uh, in uh, the Pirates, uh, the Orioles, and the Cardinals. Uh, and, and just a handful of teams, as you can see, are over 100. Um, the prospect guide basically rates prospects on a scale of one to 10. Um, and so if you're over hundred, that means you're doing pretty well is the aggregate, um, for your 20 prospects. Um, and I'm, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty and the, um, you know, the actual ratings and whether you guys thought there were surprises, I should also note that because I rated every prospect, <laughs> you can get a top 100 based on the numbers. And we can talk about what stood out there is maybe kind of crazy or in line with what we thought. And uh, don't be shy about, you know, critiquing it. That's fine. Um, but I, I wanted to talk generally about your guys' reaction to uh, the general approach that I adopted um, and, you know, what thoughts you might have about that. So I don't know, Jeff, you want to go first? 
Sure, Stephen. Uh, I, I wanted to ask when you were going through that, and I, we haven't talked about this yet, but for your ceiling risk factor, I mean, is, it, is that just your personal opinion or was that gathered kind of from Baseball America? No, not at all. Yeah, so I, I try to remove myself, uh, my biases entirely um, from the process. So these grades were based on Baseball America's grades or Baseball HQ's grade. It's actually an aggregate of the two. Each okay. of those uh, publications assigns a risk score um, to the prospect. Um, if you got into the weeds on it, what you'd see is that Baseball America tends to be a little bit more conservative in giving a, a grade um, to a prospect, um, whereas Baseball HQ will tend to give a higher grade, but will assign a higher risk factor. So they hedge their grade with the risk, and Baseball America hedges the risk with their grades, if you will. Um, and so I find using the two of those sources to be particularly useful because they are in some ways a check against each other. Um, but that, that's how I came up with it. It is entirely their grades. Um, and, you know, you could disagree with the grades, but, you know, these are grades based on a lot of scouting that these organizations do, these publications do. And so I, I tend to trust them. Okay. Well, that's fair. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I do, I really appreciate you putting this together and putting the time into it, Stephen. I think it's awesome. I, I very firmly believe that when it comes to anything extra anyone wants to do from the podcast, from, I'm sorry, for, for ABL or any fantasy league, anyone that wants to spend their own private time putting something like this together or uh, doing other podcasts or doing other rankings, you know, it's just amazing. Like it's, that should be celebrated as part of what makes a league like this so great. Um, as for your rankings themselves, you know, I, I thought, it was interesting, right? It, it definitely reflects kind of your own personal beliefs that uh, scouting is should be kind of like the top thing that you ever look at when it comes to a prospect. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that 100%, but I, I appreciate it. And it's certainly a factor for me when I'm doing my own evaluations. But you can kind of see there are certain names that really pop on your list, and we can get into that as it goes. Um as being higher than I would expect and other names that are lower than it. Than yeah, I we can expect. get it now if you want, since you brought it up. And you know, I, I'm interested before you do that, Jeff, like what, what, what role do you think scouting plays in your process? You know, you, you're, you're uh, correct saying it's very high on my list. Uh, and, and this definitely is reflects that bias, if you will, but I'm curious as to what you think about it and how you integrate it into your it process. Does. I mean, you, you, if you would put it at an 80% for your own rankings, I would probably put it at about a 33% for mine. And there are other things that factor in that kind of scouting are a part of, you know, like looking at other people's rankings and whatnot, which I, I know that you tend to downplay that, but I mean, it, it, it is helpful for me at times. And uh, I know some of that is scouting driven as well, but I don't know about the scouting on a high school kid, for example. I don't put a lot of, a lot of trust into it or a kid in the Dominican that's never seen, you know, professional level pitching. So it, putting a high scouting grade on that, you know, is something that I, I'm skeptical of and always will be. Um, and it will kind of, to me, it, I, I definitely am going to weigh actual production and professional baseball far more than scouting. I'm going to look at stats. I'm going to look at stats throughout the year. I have a lot of fantasy, a lot of dynasty teams. And on a regular checkpoint, at least kind of every three or four weeks, I'm kind of going through and seeing how they're all performing and whether or not it's, they're living up to expectations, whether or not it's age appropriate, if it's level appropriate, if they just got promoted, you know, I'm, I'm digging deep into performance as well on top of that. Yep. And, yeah. That's just 
part of how I how I how I do things. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And look, I, I think that um, you know performance is very hard to quantify in terms of what I was trying to do as an exercise. And I, I talked with this about Je- with uh, Duke when I was first kind of thinking of doing this. And I, I don't know if you remember this conversation Duke we had on, over DM back in the summer, actually. Um, you know, my thought was the best I could do was to have performance baked into the overall grade. Uh, because when these grades get re-released, they tend to change based on performance. Um, and so that's the best way I could think of to integrate performance. But I agree with you, Jeff. Part of my process, and I think I highlighted this in the handbook, this does not mimic entirely what I do. Um, you know, so there, I definitely look at performance numbers and factor that in. Um, so I wouldn't say that scouting is 80% of my process. It's 80% of what the handbook does. Um, but it's certainly a very high percentage. It's more than 33%, if you will. Um, and we can get to the individual players in a second that popped. I want to hear from Duke. But before we do that, we had a question from um, from the audience. And I- I'm pretty sure this is Sam uh, who asked this. Um, and let me just stop the screen sharing for a second so we can see his question. Um, he asked, or we should be able to see it. He asked, uh, here it is. If you're ta- taking questions from the audience, which we are, Sam, um, curious about the 70, 45, 40 um, drop off and why the Delta was so big. So, uh, you know, this is, he, Sam's referring specifically to the uh, scores I gave to the various overall rankings. And I can go back to that on the, on the screen. So let me, let me hide his comment and we'll go back to the, the, sh- uh, this, the shared screen for a second and I'll put this up on the screen. Um, you know, the the um, guy tries to rate people um, based on the scores for the you know the prospect that they get, and it goes from ten down to zero, um, and fifty, which is an average grade, gets a four. Um, and my thought process: there's no science to this. <laughs> you know, if you want, this is this is me assigning points, right? Um, my thinking was that if you're getting a 45, which is a below average grade, that has very minimal value from a fantasy standpoint. Um, but I, it's not no value. So I assign that as a one. If you're below 45, which is pretty far below average, I just gave you a zero because you're basically below replacement level. Um, so I thought actually a zero, I could have gotten negative, right? Um, but I gave a zero too. Uh, 55 is above average ball player. Um, and I think those are worth roughly twice as much as a regular average ball player is. Um, and then nine, nine and a half and 10 are not a tremendous increase over above average, uh, but they're incremental. Um, I could have gone lower with 55 to create more of a gap or a Delta. And maybe that's a fair criticism of the, of it. Um, and yeah, Sam, I got your Sam's clarifying his question in the comments that I got it, Sam. Um, and you know, it's, it's really Again, not a science, but this is just how I chose to do it to really kind of place the greatest value on above average to star players. Um, and if somebody's getting a 70 grade and they're very rare uh, that somebody gets a 70 grade. That was the thinking behind that. Um, but thank you for the question, Sam. Um, and happy to answer any questions about, um, you know, the, uh, the the handbook and the process behind the handbook. So, um, you know, I'm interested, um, Duke, in hearing from you. Um, about what your thoughts are uh, about the, um, you know, about the handbook and questions that you had. Yeah, I think um, I'll echo a lot of what Jeff said. I think, first of all, this is awesome. The (laughs) fact that we have so many people in this league 
kind of with their own pet projects, whether it's a podcast or power rankings, or this is like the third or fourth uh, attempt at ranking prospects and prospects, you know, minor league systems and things like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's really awesome that we have so many people doing these kind of side projects, which just, I think makes this league that that's what kind of sets this league apart from, from other leagues. And I would put this league up against any 30 team dynasty league in the entire world. Like I, I just can't imagine a better league than this. So, um, so first of all, thanks for that. And, and you know, I know this took a lot of time to put together, so I think it's awesome. And no, I thanks. think it was fun. It did take a lot of time, yeah, but sure. I, I enjoyed it because I love prospects, but go ahead. I, mean, I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So I had, um, I had similar questions to Jeff because there's a, there's a lot of different ways to kind of tackle, um, a project like this. And I think you kind of have to balance having, you know, the best methodology with like how much time you can actually commit to it. And I think the way you did it is a good way to kind of strike that balance. Um, because it's, it's, you know, it's not like you're combing through YouTube videos, watching clips of 16-year-old kids in the I'm not, I don't know who does. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, but just kind of pulling from sources that you trust to and, and taking your own subjectivity out of it as much as you can anyway, I think is a good way to do it. Um, and, I, you know, as far as my approach, um, if, you know, if I was doing something like this, I'm probably similar to Jeff in that I'm the I value the scouting reports, especially on BA. I've tried to get into Baseball HQ a little bit. I am a, I do have a membership there, but I just find the maybe I'm just so used to BA and navigating that website. I just haven't really gotten a whole lot into Baseball HQ, but um, I do value those scouting reports and I read them a lot. Um, but at the same time, I value performance quite a bit more. Uh, and really when I'm the, the thing that <clears throat> is, I, I think the downside of this is it's more of like a review of last season and not necessarily predictive of this season. So, um, to identify like last year, I was on Jackson Merrill really early. Um, and it wasn't because of like scouting reports and highlight videos. It was because of what he was doing in like complex and low A. Uh, so I, I, I think I had Jackson Maryland all my leagues before anybody else was on him. Um, so it's not like, like this prospect guide isn't necessarily predictive, uh, but it is a good snapshot of where people are like at, you know, whatever that cutoff date was that you, that you selected. So yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sorry, Gordon. You know, I was just going to say that, in fact, in the introduction, I, I actually describe it exactly as that. It's a snapshot, you know, right. and it, it is not, it can't be predicted, really. And, and it would be folly to try to predict <laughs> what these prospects are going to do. Um, and I'm 100% with you in terms of tracking performance. And that's certainly how I identify guys to pick up off the wire, um, hopefully for nothing. And, you know, then see them, you know, mature. And that's, I, I was on to Yuri Perez, you know, ages before other people were in my other leagues. Um, and, uh, you know, when you, when you hit like on a Jackson Merrill or Yuri Perez, it's really nice. Uh, Cause mm -hmm. it, you know, 
the hard work gets rewarded. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, a marriage of both diligence and you know, keeping up on the performance and being mindful of the type of performance that matters uh, and the scouting grades, which can reinform the performance and giving you some confidence that it's not, you know, small sample size or driven by some kind of anomaly, uh, but is actually based by skills, or at least that's, that's how I think about it. Um, you know, and, and going forward, I've thought about, you know, making this a bit more comprehensive. It would require more work for me, but I've thought about weighting individual skill scores. Um, and cause I think some of them are more important than others. Um, and oh, yeah. 100%. There are, yeah, there are certain skills that if you really lack, um, and I'll talk about a few players that jump out in this regard to me on the top 100 list. Um, if you really lack those skills, it's almost impossible for you to make, you know, a real impact in the majors. Um, or there's a real risk that you'll never reach the majors. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, why don't we look at the, at the first at the, um, the uh, farm systems uh, themselves. And just, I'm curious if you guys thought anything jumped out as, as odd on this list or as you know, maybe being consistent with generally how you viewed, whether you view Jeff above or below me or whatever, that doesn't really matter so much to me. I'm just curious what your guys' reaction was to this list. And if you thought anyone was like, just, geez, that, that surprised me. No major surprises for me, obviously. Harry just loaded up at the last at the auction, so not surprising at all to see him at the top. Um, yeah, Brendan's been doing a fantastic job. He somehow was able to be very competitive last year and even better this year, while at the same time trading for a lot of top prospects and early draft picks. So I'm not surprised to see him there. You know, Duke's minor league has been a powerhouse for since this league began. He's made amazing trades to restock it. Yeah, yeah, Duke has somehow won the league twice and, and built a juggernaut farm system, which is terrifying. Yeah. So you know, that's, that's why I call him the godfather coming into the podcast. All, it's all about the trades. And yeah, Duke is the all, master of the dynasty trades for sure. We're all – but he, he's only four years in. Imagine what he's going to be like in 10 years. It's going to be right. scary. So um, what about you, Duke? Did you have any reactions to this? Uh, uh, about to you? No, I'm gonna, I'll am i throw a little shade at Brendan. Um not really throwing shade. I'm just gonna. He sniped me on somebody last night, and I'm still not over it. And we're in it. We're doing a draft in another league right now. So, um, I like. I I wasn't feeling great yesterday, so I passed out at like 11:30, and I was winning Seth Brown for 10 bucks, and I I slept in because I wasn't feeling great. And I woke up and I was like, oh sweet, I won Brown. And then I looked, and he must have like beat my bid right after I fell asleep because while I was sleeping, I he had. <laughs> Cleared the board. Well, uh, and Brendan won them. Well, you know the, the, the end end of that story maybe that uh, Brown ends up platooning this year. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, maybe it'll maybe it'll work out for me, man. But uh, yeah, I like Brendan has a really really good farm system, but I'd have to look at some of these individual players to see where you rank them to see how he got to be number two. Yeah. A lot of his guys, a lot of his guys are like FYPD guys because obviously he had a bunch of picks this year in the first round. You know, like DePaula, which I don't really know much about DePaula and DeLauder and um, Parada, some really highly, highly regarded uh, FYPD guys. Yep. And then he has like Casey Schmidt, who I love, which most people don't really know a whole lot about. 
<clears throat> so maybe he's you know has a has a higher rank in your in your rankings or something like that. But is Gavin Williams um, too under that? Yeah, yeah, he's got some nice pitching with Williams and I'm assuming Williams and Rodriguez are like the main reasons why his Gavin Williams gave, got a big score for him. Yeah, That's certainly true. And we could we could pull his team up on the on the handbook, but he's I, I know from doing the rankings that Gavin Williams, you know, really elevated his team. He has a couple players that were over eight. Um, right. And if you go to the um, we can go to the next page and, you know, I can show the top 100. I think you're going to see his name in there, his team name in there quite a bit. I mean, he's got, there's Gavin Williams right there. He's number eight on the list. Yeah. And Rodriguez, he's got Rodriguez at three. And I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a really, really good farm system. I was just surprised it was number two. Yeah. I, it was, go ahead. He was not, he was not on my radar for like a potential number one system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things is like, you know, I, I was just doing these spreadsheets without, really kind of checking to see who would end up being number one, number two or whatever. Um, I had a rough, a rough sense of, you know, kind of where things were shaking out. But uh, what was really interesting to me was this list, the top 100 list, because when I put it together and I finally collated all the names and sorted it by from highest to lowest, Jordan Walker was at the top. Um, and, you know, as a Cardinals fan, I was very happy to see that, <laughs> even though my rankings don't really matter. Um, I was glad to see that. And then my boy, Yuri Perez was number two. Which, which made me very happy. Um, I'm sure you turn the knobs until those two were at the top, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things that was interesting to me was that there were five pitchers in the top 10. Um, and, you know, there is a, a pocket of the dynasty community that really resists drafting pitchers and, and, and even rostering them. I mean, if you go, you go through some of the teams and even our league, there are some teams that have very few pitchers rostered at all um and it was just interesting to me that here at least in this system five of the you know top 10 guys are starting pitchers um you know and then um i mean one name that jumped out to me was uh, tink hence which i highlighted there which is very high uh, i mean i love tink hence i think he's got a bright future and i hope she does as a cardinal fan and jeff i know you do too and because you're a cardinals fan um but and we, we we talk about tink time to time via dm and think he's you know got a lot of upside but you know i was really surprised to see him at 17 that struck me as you know you know maybe maybe pumping the brakes a little bit um and i'd have to go look at his individual um scouting numbers to see if there's things some things i might downgrade him on um but i know he has a couple of very lively pitches and baseball america is very high on him um you know, I, I know Jeff. You you might want to talk about the other names I have highlighted there, um, which is James Wood and and Griff McGarry being tied on the list um, yeah. at thirty four. And I know you mentioned to me you thought Wood was uh, lower than you expected. Where where would you think he'd be on this list? Not not because I myself am that high on him. It's just that uh, the dynasty community as a whole has him generally top top ten, even top five right now. Just I think that. I think people see Aaron Judge 2.0 kind of when they see the big guy that can crush the ball, that has all the tools. And um, and I'm surprised to see him down the list a little bit. You know, like uh, I'm surprised to see like even Marco Luciano ahead of him because Marco certainly has – he's on my team in, in ABL and he certainly has the, the, the pedigree from a scout's perspective. So yep. he, does not, he does not have the numbers at all to justify that high of a ranking. You know, he's generally has a lot of injury problems. Even when he's been in there, he's been pretty mediocre. Um, I was noting that some names that I thought were pretty high, higher than I would expect on your list, Bobby Miller all the way at the top. And I, 
I know I've seen some pieces on Baseball America that he's got, you know, multiple multiple pitches or like some of the best pitches in all the minors. And that's why he's there. But kind of like <clears throat> I feel like the Dodgers crank out pitchers like that guy all the time. And, well, that doesn't mean they're not good. But, uh, but yes, the no, it doesn't. But I'm yeah. I'm surprised it's certainly to see him all the way in the top five like you have him. Um, yeah, no, he's he's certainly high up. I think one of the things that's probably worth noting about what I did was I the proximity was a factor, um, yeah. as well as the system they're in, uh, and it's the Dodgers, right. and the Dodgers are a very highly regarded and, and rated farm system in Baseball America, so that certainly helped. Um, and he hasn't had injury issues, which also helped him. So there's a lower risk, which bumped him up a little bit in the rankings. And, you know, I think for James Wood, um, he went to Washington, which is one of the worst farm systems in the last three years on average. So that took him down a little bit, right? Um, mm-hmm. He also had some injury issues, uh, which in the way I did this calculation brought him down just a little bit. And those fractions, even though they're small, can bring you down the list when you look at it. Um I know that you were talking about pitching prospects being faded by some dynasty people. And I, I try not to do that too much, but you say a pitcher has not had injury problems. I mean, all pitchers have injury problems at some point. I mean, well, again, I mean, there's a, there's a famous saying, the only type of, there are two types of pitching prospects, injured prospects and ones who are going to be injured. Right. <laughs> so. yeah, it's a, some people think it's kind of a good thing if they've already gotten their TJ out of the way, you know, because that means you're not going to lose two years down the road. Yeah. And, and I get that, you know, I, I traded for Max Meyer in ABL because I still believe, and he's over halfway through his recovery, and I think the kid's dynamite. So, yeah, uh, I think what you're highlighting though, Jeff, is like there's a difference, and this, and this is this is an important distinction, I think. You know, what you're really highlighting is roster construction strategies, yeah, right, which which is divorced from a prospect's skills. Right. You're you're talking about another element of risk in terms of what you're willing to accept in constructing your your roster. Right. And, and that's completely valid, I think. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that there's a lot of sense in not overemphasizing pitching in your approach because there is you know, higher volatility in terms of skills. I mean, these pitchers can be even more skilled than the hitters. Right. They just have an added element of risk because pitching is an inherently dangerous activity. <laughs> you know, you know your body's not meant to torque like that. There's there's no question. And I mean you see thing like a- Andrew Painter was the bell of the ball two weeks ago and everybody wanted him and we thought he was gonna bust in the majors and and then and then suddenly it's pulled out of a game out of nowhere, no sign that was gonna happen ahead of time, and you know, he's <clears throat> for months and reasonable chance that he could have surgery if if rest rest doesn't work and then it'll be gone forever, you know, or for a year and a half or so. Yeah. So just, but 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 I you know I everyone knows how much I, I've fallen in love with Tideman and and I, and I posted tons of stuff about him in the chat room and watched all the stuff and I know I know Duke has him in ABL but like I fall in love with pitching prospects too I'm not immune to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I and I hear that I, I'm just as guilty of falling in love with them too. And I, I'm actually, as we'll talk about later, out of the three of us, probably the most willing to take risk when it comes to prospects yeah. in terms of roster construction. Um, I just wanted to touch on one thing on this list that I highlighted was Griffin Gary, and he's kind of the poster child uh, for what would change if I developed a, a deeper dive on the grades, because he has a very low control grade. I think it's like 40 in Baseball America, and that would drop him substantially in the list. It'd probably take him off the list um, for me. Um, so I just I, w- I just wanted to point that out 
for everybody's consumption. Uh, as I said in the introduction, this is certainly not perfect. Um, and going to Duke's point, like, you know, you, you pick the level of abstraction that's not going to bury you in work putting this together. Um, but, you know, if I do this in a deeper way next year, you know, that's, that's a change you'd see. Uh, see you right out of there. Um, Duke, I don't know if you had anything to add before we move on to general strategy. No, I um, yeah, I think I had kind of the same observations. Five of the top 10 were pitchers. I counted 19 of the top 50 were pitchers. Um, I get everything you're saying. Like you, you have to invest in the pitching. Um, like I don't win the, the chip in year one if I don't like have Alec Manoa. Like that just doesn't, yeah. it's not going to happen. So, I mean, you have to – and we can get more into this in this when we start talking about strategy, but you, you know, you have to invest in the pitching. You have to have a balanced minor league system if you want to be competitive. Um, so yeah, like you can't forget about the pitchers. You got to give them some love as well. Um, but yeah, I thought, I think there's a, a really, really good chance. Bobby Miller is a reliever. Um, yeah, that's another, yeah, that's another risk factor. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and, so, and, and go ahead. Yeah, like I get it. You're just you're 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 trying to be objective. You're just following the scores that the scouts give and using your system. But like Miller, the so the ones that I was kind of surprised, just kind of glancing at the list, was Miller. Obviously, Jackson Job I think is in the top twenty. He's done nothing basically. Um, he's been very mediocre. Um, as much as I love Mason Hour, like he's my boy, I was, I have him in ABL and some other leagues. I was on him very early, Yep. but I think he's like in the top 40 or something like that. Yep. Um, that was totally baseball America driven. Yeah. Like, like baseball America loves him. Uh, yeah. Rightly so. He's a, he's a good ball player. Yeah. Funny story about Mason Hour. I mean, so you and I were, uh, DMing with each other about ad drops and you told me you were going to add Mason Hour. And he was a guy I was adding in all my other dynasty leagues. <laughs> and because you told me you were going to add him, I didn't put a claim in. <laughs> so uh, I, you. I was like, I was like, I can't do that. Right. I was like, all right. Um, but <laughs> I think, I think he's the one league I'm in where I don't have him. <laughs> it's, ABL. It's, it's because you fronted it. Um, so That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't well, know that. Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about our next agenda item, which is um, you know prospect approaches. And um, you know one of the things, like I said at the outset of this, which you know really interested me about having this conversation with the three of us, is that uh, it, it's pretty clear if you look at our rosters of prospects um, and just from our conversations with each, with each other, we have kind of different approaches um, in, in assembling rosters and thinking about prospects. And yet I think we're all, you know, effective to one degree or another. And I think we like talking with each other about prospects because there is that per different perspective that you get on people. Um, so what I'm interested, you know, hearing from each one of you is, you know, what are the key factors? Jeff, you already touched on it a little bit. I'm going to start with Duke. Um, you know, Duke, I mean, you, my outsider sense looking at your roster and talking with you is you're very proximity driven and mm -hmm. data driven. Um, and performance driven, right? Um, but how would you describe, you don't have to agree with that, but how would you describe your approach generally and, and what factors, you know, are, are really kind of key drivers for you? No, I think that's pretty accurate. I think um, proximity is, it's, it's not the most important thing to me, but it is important. Uh, but it's not, but I say that not because I only want a bunch of guys who are in AAA and a bunch of, or a bunch of guys who are going to debut this year. 
Mm -hmm. because you have to balance your proximity on your, it, it's really about building, building a balanced um, minor league roster in dynasty. I think I'm not concerned. And I, I, from talking to you, Steve, I know this is something you are concerned about, uh, or at least you have been in the past. Like I'm not concerned about the positions of the hitters. I'm more concerned about like having a good age and level spread. Uh -huh. Um so I'm okay if I have six shortstops, which I, I might even have six. I think I have six shortstops in like ARL. Like that doesn't bother me at all because they're all kind of spread out. I have some like a 16 year old and I have like some 22 year olds, like all and, and, and everything in between. So um, yeah, I, would describe, I would describe my concern about prospect position, not so much in which positions I hold. I mean, there can be some times when I want to make sure I've got somebody in the pipeline but I, if you look at my roster, I think I have mostly center fielders and shortstops. Um, and yeah. I draft, I tend to draft them because they're the best players on the field, generally speaking. That's where they put the best athletes. Um, but, you know, I, I share your concern about age and, um, you know, what level they're at, uh, which is certainly something I integrated in the handbook. But it's something I do a lot more, you know, when I look at prospects. We can talk about my system um, and what I do you know, a little bit later. But, um the only position I get concerned about not overemphasizing is catcher. And I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of nice if you can find like a, that's why I pursued Melendez so hard in ABLs because I knew he was going to be playing positions other than catcher. Yep. Um, and that's why I have Andy Rodriguez in a bunch of leagues, because I think he's going to be playing some, maybe some first base, maybe even second base, maybe left field. Like he's going to be playing all over the place. Yeah, he could be the Craig Biggio, right. Of this generation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, catchers, I'm not, I don't, and we will talk about that during the ABL draft. Actually, I'll give you, I'll, I can dive more into my philosophy on catchers, but you know, the, the other thing that I'm, that I really care about is the, and it, it's one of your criteria. Um, but for me, it's, it's way more than like 2% or 3% or whatever you have. And that's the age of the prospect compared to the level they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is probably the, I'm giving my strategies away now. So forever's watching this, you know what I, you know what I look for, but that is probably the most important thing for me when I'm looking for prospects on the wire is the kids, the, the, the kids who are doing well as an 18 year old in yep. the comp, you know, an 18 year old in like high A, like I'm going to be all over that kid if he's doing well. Um, so that's really important to me. And I, and I've seen data that says that that is, is very telling of future success in the major leagues is, um, the kids who do well at a younger age compared to the, the rest of the players they're playing with. So, um, and then there's like, you know, there's certain stats I look at when I'm, when I'm combing the fan graphs for looking for yep. prospects or when I'm evaluating my own prospects, I'm not, <laughs> I'm afraid how much I'm going to give away here, but. Only um, say what you're comfortable saying. You don't have to say anything. I've said this before, so I don't think I'm giving anything away, but walk, uh, walk uh, versus strikeout rate. Yeah. For pitchers and hitters is like the most important stat to me. So, um, you know, a hitter that's, you know, walking 10% of the time and striking out less than 25% of the time has way more, I'm way more interested in him than, you know, the kid who's hitting 30 home runs, but striking out 30% of the time. Yep. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting yeah. you say that because like those are stats that I look at as well. The K percentage minus based on ball percentage, which yeah. some people talk about as being command. But right. you know, decide whether that actually is command or not. That's the ratio I look at that's very important. And for hitters, I look at batting eye too, which people often refer to that ratio of you know, walks, uh, strikeouts minus walks. Um, and age relative to level is certainly a, a, an issue, a topic that's very important to me. Um, and, and certainly more important than it is in the handbook to me. Um, and as I said, the handbook does not mirror exactly what I do. Um, you know, it, the way I dealt with it in the handbook was to add a, a full extra point um, to a player's score pre-weight, um, which actually is, is pretty meaningful when you think about the math uh, to do that on, the, on that score. Because in, yep. it's hard to objectively um, give too much weight to that in, in the exercise that I was doing because so many prospects are at the level they should be at age-wise. So you get a lot of zeros and it would create a real spike. Maybe you could do it that way. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the numbers would change. Um, but I can tell you this, like Jordan Walker and Yuri Paris are at the top of that list and they're both a lot younger than the average age, you know, of what they should be. Um, so it definitely played some role. Um, Jeff, what about you? What, you know, what, what are your kind of likes, dislikes, factors that are key to you, um, your general philosophies about, you know, accumulating prospects and tracking them down? Yeah, a couple things. Um, when I when I when I'm constructing a roster, you know, I'm I'm looking for a few different things. I'm looking for potential fast risers, mm -hmm. you know, people that will gain a lot of momentum in the fantasy industry that will jump from being ranked 150th to being ranked top 50 in the next year. And there's, I think I got a bunch of guys on my team that have the capability of doing that, and across all my dynasty teams, really, some of the names that I'm really really been trying to get this offseason are or players and it's certainly a risk there's no guarantee that players like gabriel gonzalez and anthony gutierrez and carlos jorge and players that i really like and have things that i really like about them are going to ascend like that but i think that there's a good chance that they do as good a chance as anybody at their ranking why are you focused on where they're ascending to i mean are you thinking about them in terms of being able to trade them or That's part of it yeah, yeah. I mean, in dynasty trading is definitely a part of it you know and and there's always a place in, in the league that's drafting right now, which is uh, uh, breaking bats. It's, it's 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 an ABL league, and in that league, there was kind of an arms race right before the playoffs last year. And Duke and myself and Adam and about three other teams pretty much unloaded our entire farms <laughs> trying to compete with each other to because it was a five hundred dollar prize for winning the regular season. So we all went a little nuts, and none of us have any prospects left because of it. <laughs> That's not typical, you know. It's just kind of the way that league was constructed. But uh, uh, in general, you know, it's it's you're looking for 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 trade trade capital, and you're looking for people to contribute and come up. Um, obviously, Duke and ABL has had a lot of his team come up and contribute as minor leagues, and then you can then you can sign them for cheap for many years, you know. And that's that's a huge value in a league like this. Yeah, um, no, for sure. In addition to fast risers, you know, I'm looking for proximity pitching too. You know, that's a part of it for me because of the high bust rate with prospect pitching and the high injury rate. If you can find guys that are on the cusp, you know, that were very successful in double A AA and triple A and like are going to be next man up for their major league teams. And I have a few of those guys. I have uh, Wilmer Flores and uh, Andrew Abbott and a few others that I think are going to definitely make starts for their major league teams this year. I don't know how good they'd be. You never know. But uh, 
it's yeah. Bryce Miller. Bryce Miller, I think, will actually be really good. He's, he's a little bit further away, but yeah. Um, if you can find proximity pitching in a dynasty league, I think that's that's pretty valuable. Um, it's overall process for me. You know, I play in a lot of leagues. I think that helps from dynasty. Mm-hmm. If you just play in like one dynasty league, you know, it's kind of really hard to do a total deep dive of the whole player pool. If you play in a lot of leagues, if you play in like five or more, then you're probably ex- have exposure to tons of players, and it's pretty cool when you find a when you find a name through your research through yeah. looking on Twitter or Baseball America or buried in an article somewhere, you know, you can start to dig in on this player and you can check across all your leagues and you, you might find somewhere where you can pick them up. That's, yeah. that's always exciting. That's why I call this, like it would be a, a podcast about prospecting, right? Cause you're digging right, right. gold all the time and that's part of the fun, right? It's like the yeah. gold rush. You go out West and you start digging. Um, and I think, you know, one of the other advantages of being in a lot of leagues is that you actually learn from the other owners. For sure. Right. Um, so, you know, you have a conversation like the, the Mason hour conversation that I have with Duke, you know, what was interesting about that is like we each kind of came to that player separately through yeah. our own process. And then there's confirmation, right? right? Through the conversation. I was like, oh, Duke likes him too. Like, you know, I'm glad I picked him up, right? right. Um, and you also learn from other people picking up prospects. There are certain owners you come to respect in terms of their, you know, acumen for identifying prospects. And you see them do it one league. And if you're smart, you go to your other leagues and you start checking, you know. Right. Uh, and that educational process, I think, from being in another league is really valuable and just kind of fun because um, it does, I think, uh, necessitate you learning a lot about the players. Um, I would I think, say, really, go ahead. We we talk about lists like a lot. You know, there's these prospect lists out there. There's you know Eric mm-hmm. Cross and um, uh, the Welsh and a bunch of other lists that are out there of top 400, top 500 that are constantly updated, and and, and those have dubious value, right? All 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 of those folks kind of have their own, like, like if, if you get, if you follow them for a while, you can understand their own preferences. Like James Anderson and Rotowire is going to have his speed guys at the top. And I, I don't really dig speed guys that much personally. Like I, I just, I don't really trust minor league stolen bases. You know, it's like, no, there's no. aren't good at throwing them out. And uh, it's, it's a lot different when they get in the majors. Um, but from those lists, the main value to me is uh, finding names that I don't know about. So as, as I peruse these lists month to month, you see a name that suddenly moved up from 400 to 200. I'm like, there's probably a reason why, you know, it's, uh-huh. and it's worth kind of looking into what was their thought process for moving them up. And they might, you might not have realized that that player was ascending the way they are, you know, like you might not be following the Brewer single A game to see the Jackson Cheerios going bananas. But if, right. you follow them, if you follow those lists, you might notice it. Hey, they, they moved Cheerio up. What's going on with this guy? You yes, I find I often find maybe your experience is different, Jeff. I often find by the time they move up the list, it's too late. Yeah, uh, that they, the news is integrated into the community such that somebody's already started claiming these guys. Um, but I think right, if you, if you you know, um, it's it can help you identify players. Right, um, it does for me for sure. And like I mean, maybe not once they're in the first in the top 100, 150, Sure, everybody knows about them. But you'll see guys that kind of like appear on the list out of nowhere, out of that weren't even in the top 500. That suddenly these guys have a, a number 230, and you're like, "Who is this guy?" And, yeah, I think one thing that's worth highlighting you know, yeah. from this conversation amongst the three of us is just how much work you put into reading about prospects and right. thinking about prospects and different sources you consult and whatever those sources are. Right. You can you can consult lists. I don't rely on the list as much as you do. Yeah. You know, there's no right or wrong answer, but you spend a lot of time thinking about this. I spend an hour every morning over cups of coffee reading about baseball every day, 365. 
you know, uh, my wife, you know, calls herself a baseball widow, <laughs> um, you know, and, um, and there are other times of the year and I spend more time. This, this prospect guide was a labor of love, you know, because mm -hmm. I just like reading about them. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, one of the things I do to identify prospects early is to read Baseball America religiously and very carefully. And I know Duke, you do this too, because we've talked about some players as they've been highlighted in, you know, BA. Um, but that's how I identify players like Jackson Shurio. There's a guy on my roster right now that I don't think anybody's heard of named Angel Benitez, who's a pitcher for the oh, yeah. Yankees. Yeah, there you go. I own him because, every because of Baseball America, he was on their like hot 20 several times last year. Yeah, yeah. And so that's right. And so th that's how I first learned about him. I learned about Yuri Paris the same way. Uh, and I rostered Angel. He hasn't, you know, popped in any of the list yet. Um, but um, I love tall pitchers who throw hard and have decent command. Uh, and Yuri's, uh, Yuri fits that bill. And Angel is kind of out of the same mold. Um, another guy in this draft I really love for the same reasons was Noah Schultz, uh, who I nabbed in most leagues, although not in ABL, um, thanks to Brendan, <laughs> who got him in uh, on the Royals roster. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I I just do, I go about it probably in a little bit different way uh, identifying the players than you do, Jeff. But that's what what I do, and I, you know, I'd say the the big difference to me in terms of our relative approaches is that I'm much more risk tolerant, and I love J15s. Um, and I spend a lot of time reading about them. Um, they're highly volatile. Uh, and I, you know, I'm the first to concede that it's high risk, you know, um, but also potentially high reward. Uh, and hopefully the acquisition cost is low. Um, and that's the, that's the trade-off. Um, and I, I also take that approach with pitching. Um, I try to get my marquee you know, prospects on the pitching side without having to like, spend a high draft pick, with some exceptions. Um, but it's pretty rare for me to have a pitcher ranked in the top 10 in the draft um, because, of, because of the risk factors that you identified, Jeff. Uh, but going to your like proximity point, um, you know, at the end of our regular draft or auction, I nabbed, uh, you know, uh, Mason Miller of the A's. It was a prospect that I like a lot and um, is right on the cusp of the majors. And so I bid on him in that uh, rather than have to draft him. Um, but that, that, that was certainly a driving factor for Mason and why I did that. Um, I have Miller on a lot of teams as well. I know, I mean, obviously the Oakland staff is pretty bad, so he's got a good shot at coming up this year. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that kind of brings us into the, the draft itself, um, which was something else I wanted to, you know, talk about today. And I'm just you know, curious as an initial matter, you know, what's your general draft process? I know that you, you guys each had actually relatively few picks. Duke, you had one this year, and I'll talk about that too. And Jeff, you had three. Um, so maybe your, maybe your approach this year was a little bit different. Than it was in prior years, but I'm just wondering when you kind of start the prep process in the normal course, and very generally speaking, like what, what's the outline of that for you guys? And maybe this time, Duke, we'll start with you. Yeah, I did very little prep. To be, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, like I only had a couple picks in all my leagues, um, and I'm, you know, I had so in this league, I had I ended up with after a bunch of wheeling and dealing. I ended up with the 11th pick. <clears throat> do you want me to talk about that now, or do you want to dive into that? Yeah, no, we can, we can do that. Look, we, we, you know, you're on the subject. I mean, this is, you know, we'll get, and we'll get to Jeff's draft, draft in a second. So maybe we can do this. We'll just do this in silos. Um, you know, you, you have the number one overall pick, right? Yeah. Uh, through the lottery. We have a lottery in this league. And you know, so the top, the bottom 14 teams, kind of like the NBA, go into a, a, a virtual ping pong ball machine and they get picked, and you got the lucky ball. You have one chance to get the number one pick and you got it. 
Um, and many people were envious. And I, I can tell you because I ended up with the number two pick. Um, and I was very glad, Duke, that you got the number one pick because I knew there was no way in hell um, that you were going to take the guy I wanted. Uh, and then when you traded yeah. out with the pick, I was like, damn, <laughs> like now I have to worry about it. Um, but what was your, think, your thought process on trading down? I mean, you, you have a very obviously competitive roster because you won the league. Yeah. Uh, so that may have been a fact. But what was your thought process? You, you, you tell me. I think it, if, if I had to do it over again, I don't know that I would have traded down um, because I've kind of fallen in love with Jackson Holiday a little bit. Uh, and I, and when I traded the pick, you know, obviously this was, this was back in like early January when we do the, when we did the lottery. And I think I traded the pick shortly thereafter. Um, and just kind of hearing about how much more he's grown, like he's mm -hmm. still growing, he's getting bigger, he's getting stronger. Um, like, I think I probably would have kept that pick and taken holiday if I, if the draft was like two months later than it was. Yep. Um, but I also am a big Hunter Brown fan. Um, and that's, so I traded that pick for Hunter Brown, Quinn Priester and another first rounder. And it seemed like kind of a no brainer at the time, just because, and it looks like that's going to work out. Okay. For me, because Hunter Brown's probably, I don't, I, I don't know what he's done this spring, but he's probably going to be in the rotation. It's a good shot. They got a couple other guys. The actress could slug in there too. Brian. Colors is hurt. He's going to be in there. Yeah. Colors yeah. hurt. He's going to get, a, he's going to get an opportunity there. And that's nice. They have Brian Abreu who might get a starting chance too. Um, yeah. But he's, I mean, he was pretty good last year and, like Jeff said, uh, like if you look at my pitchers in ABL, they're all other than Tiedemann, they're all like 22 and older because I, especially with the pitchers, I don't chase any younger guys for the most part. So Brown's definitely a guy that I like. Um, but anyway, so I ended up with one, with the 11th pick, and I, because I just didn't really have a lot of high picks this year, I I didn't do a whole lot of research. I knew that if I could get in the teens, I would have a good chance at Dalton Dalton Rushing, who like has kind of had a lot of helium. Yeah, I just pulled up the draft results too, and, and yep. we talk. I'll put it. Uh, I'll put your team on the screen actually, because yeah, uh, just highlight where you were in the draft. So you picked the here's eleventh. You ended up with Gavin Cross. Yeah, uh, and rushing went right. You had, you ended up passing on rushing. I'm interested in hearing about did, that. Yeah, and I know you were. So basically, I wanted ahead. to be in the teens to have a chance at either Delouder or rushing. That was kind of my because I had heard good things about both. Obviously, Delouder was kind of getting a bunch of helium um mm -hmm. around that time uh, and this was before the news about his broken foot but um yep. so that's kind of what i that's kind of what i was looking for and then i kind of started hearing about spencer jones so i was looking into him i was like oh like i'm gonna have to make a choice between delatter and jones here at 11. um and then no and you then don't sam jumped in for both of them <laughs> yeah they both got picked right before i think sam and then brandon picked them right before i was up yeah. So then I was like, shit, like Parada is still available. He's like maybe the best college hitter in this class, but he's a catcher. Mm -hmm. Rushing's a catcher. But then there's this Gavin Cross guy who I don't, I knew nothing about. I just knew that he was, Baseball America has him as the number one prospect in Kansas City's shitty system. They do. Um, <laughs> but Kansas, but he like had a nice debut. He put up some good numbers, like, the scouts seem to generally like him. Um, 
Kansas City does have a shitty system, but they've done a that's because they've graduated so many guys the last year and they've done a good job with their hit. I, I can't say much about their pitching development, but their hitting development's been pretty good. So um so I was like, okay, I'll take the I'll take the non-catcher. That's why I decided to go with Cross. So why did you take the non-catcher? Why don't you flesh that out a little bit, Duke? We alluded to it earlier in the podcast, and I'm just interested to hear you know, why you passed on rushing. I have some thoughts on rushing too, but uh, why don't you tell me your view? I think, honestly, because Parada had slipped so far, I would have taken Parada over mm-hmm. rushing. Um, simply because, like, rushing was amazing in his, like, whatever he got, like, 100 at-bats or whatever he had. But that's such a small sample size like that. That's kind of where I lean that where I do lean on the scouting reports and like Baseball America and all the scouts like Parada more than rushing. Yep. Um, One of the things interesting, I'm sorry, you, were, you weren't finished. No, I was just going to say so. So I think I would have taken Parada over rushing if I went with the catcher. But generally speaking, I just. I find it pretty tough to stomach rostering. A catcher especially drafting one that early in an fypd yeah so you're just not getting the the volume that you're getting from you know gavin cross who's going to be getting like you know assuming he's healthy he's going to get like 650 plate appearances a year right 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 and i think you know um you know you, you highlighted something about the risk inherent in, in catchers too uh that they, it takes a long time for them to develop um, you know, they have to learn the defense, which is a, a real chore. And the Baseball America scouting report, rushing was actually one of my fades, uh, kind of jumping ahead a little bit in terms of our agenda, but he was one of my fades coming into the draft. Um, I like him, um, but Baseball America really dinged him on his ability to handle fastballs, yeah. uh, raised a red flag there, and that's that's a concern for me. When you read that, at, at that level that he's at, the low level of the minors, struggling with fastballs, which it's an important thing to be able to do at the major league level is hit fastballs. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with you with fading him. He was getting way overdrafted, in my opinion, in FYPDs. Yeah, I still like him. I had him ranked at the top of the second round, but I wasn't going to be touching yeah. him in the first round. No, I'm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that like if, I had the tw- if I had the 20th pick and rushing was there, I'd be all over him. But at 11, I just couldn't really stomach doing I, that. Well, I think you'd try with Gavin Cross. I mean, I think he's a solid pick there at 11. Um and um, Jeff, let's, let's talk about your approach going into the draft because you only had three three picks, right? And let's let's just pull your your results up because I think you you got three nice players in the draft, but you know you you, you know you what's that? I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Um, I originally had the eighth pick, I believe, coming out of the lottery. Yep. And I traded that to Sam for Christian Walker. I couldn't pass that up. Um, but I was sad too because there were players that I really liked there, um, and the player that I really would have wanted there was Brooks Lee, who went right before my pick. Yeah, I've really have fallen for this offseason. Um, mm-hmm. And if I still had that eighth pick, you know, I I, I would have taken a Parada for sure myself um, with who was left. But I mean, you got a future hall. You got a future hall of famer, so you can't be too upset with your draft. Who's that? Which one? Which one? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Ethan Salas. He's if he's already being dubbed a Hall of Famer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, he's an interesting catching prospect. Yet another catching prospect uh, that was in this draft. I was so so. My 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 thought going into the draft with my first pick being at two dot four, I think it was. 
um, was we have a special opportunity here to see last year's J, uh, J, J15 glass, right? Last year yeah. was kind of uh, the Dominican, we got to see who, who was awesome in the Dominican league, like kind of a sneak peek. And, 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 and it's like, it felt like a cheat code in a way, like to, to be able to see those guys. So I, I was really kind of locked in on, on Susana or Gutierrez, who were two guys that just like dominated the Dominican league and had a ton of hype and yep. um two guys were still growing too you know still like developing and both had the chance to be superstars and in my mind and uh susana ended up going right before me and i, I would have taken susana ahead of gutierrez in round two he went the pick before me to detroit and yeah. i think john said that he had gutierrez right after susana as well so yeah well at that point in the draft gutierrez was like the next guy in my queue um because after Susana, I had Susana, I had a Gutierrez as well, but that was like that for me uh, in the draft. I had no, I didn't have a pick near this point. Um, what, what I thought was kind of interesting about Susana is the number of times he was picked up illegally last year <laughs> by people in the ABL, and then somehow he got the in the second round. I was I was stunned by that. But uh, right. you know, when he when he was like floating to you, I thought you were going to get him uh, at your pick there, and that would that would be nice. Uh, but I think yeah, I we, talk, we talked about him before, and you knew you knew that I was a fan, but. And I, I traded for Gutierrez like a few months ago and uh, in the other league we're in as well. So Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I was disappointed to when I was doing my draft prep in that league to see that you already had them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I had those both. I had both those guys, Susana and Gutierrez, as kind of mid-first round for me, just in my own evaluation. I, w- I would have taken them ahead of pretty much everyone after about pick 15 or so, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how you could take DePaula ahead of them. As exciting as DePaula is, you haven't seen it yet, right? He's brand new, brand new there, so... Um, well, DePaul has a, a year. We've seen him. I mean, he's like, yeah, that's true. There are other players who haven't, but he has. Um, right. I mean, DePaul put up amazing numbers. He did. Um, he did. He did. I'm, I'm getting mixed up. But, yeah, uh, he's in the Dodgers system, right? But, you know, um, Gutierrez is also extremely impressive um, and had a great debut. Um, you know, my, my approach was like uh, I ended up in a very different position than you guys. I had 12 picks. Um, I do want to hear and, about less why you love Lesko so much because I, I think that most people would see that pick and think that you jump you traded a lot to get him too I believe so oh yeah sure um, so yeah, I'm happy to talk about that I, I had two I ended up with two first round picks going into the draft I had one which is the number two pick overall and I took I took Elijah Green um, and as Jeff knows Elijah Green was number one on my board since July <laughs> um, and it didn't change it was kind of like draft day it was Elijah Green no matter what. Um, and, uh, you know, there are very few prospects in baseball who have received a 70 power and a 70 speed rating from baseball America. Um, and, uh, guys built like Bo Jackson, uh, and he's very exciting and he's only 18 years old and the athleticism is through the roof on this kid. Um, and I think his draft stock in terms of fantasy draft stock has kind of taken a fall um, by small sample sizes, 52 plate appearances where he struck out a lot, but also slug. He had a 936 OPS to go with it. Um, and uh, I felt very fortunate to get him at two. Um, there's certainly some hit tool risk there. Um, and I know Duke, you and I talked about right after the draft pick, you know, why I took him over, uh, you know, either, you know, holiday, or some of the other guys who were available there, obviously very high pick. And, you know, that may prove to be the wrong decision. 
Um, I think there are, you know, really, it's an unusual class that there are some really top prep players in this draft that, that have really high ceilings. Uh, we all know who they are. Um, but Green was always the guy that I like the most out of that group, um, and which is not a knock on the other guys. I think they're excellent. Um, and they probably have lower floors than Elijah Green. Um, but I just thought he had the highest ceiling. Um, so that was a calculus, you know, in terms of that pick. Um, did you, can, uh, I wanted to ask you for Elijah and he's got to, you know, to prove it. Um, it's also a big year for Drew Jones because he got hurt and, you know, he's got to show that he can live up the hype too and, um, that he's healthy. Um, you know, and, you know, answer to your question, Jeff on Lesko, you know, he, he's an interesting guy. He's obviously recovering from surgery. Um, you know, Baseball America gave him a 65 grade. Oh, you're muted, Steve. There you go. There you go. Sorry, I, I lost connectivity for a second, so it muted me. It's probably the way of the internet telling me I've talked too much. Um, no, Lesko was he got a 65 grade from Baseball America, and only he was one of only you know four prospects in this draft class to get that grade. Um, and this scouting report on Lesko described him as a delivery that was poetry in motion. <laughs> um, and if you read the reports on him, uh, I mean they're just gushing uh, in terms of his command and the movement and and shape of his pitches and the RPMs, the spin rates on them. Um, I think he's a very exciting prospect. So I had him fifth on my board, right? And when I saw him fall to the middle of the first round, you know, my decision-making was, well, I can move up to get a top five guy on my board this year. And I traded away a couple ones, I think, um, in subsequent years to, to move up to that position. And my thinking was that it was really one of proximity. I can take a top five guy now, right? and start having them develop in 2023, or I can wait to 2024 and take a pick that might be outside the top 20, might be in the low 30s, or it looks to me low 20s, right? Because I don't know where my draft pick's gonna be. Um, and so I jumped at the chance, and I, I just think he has a lot of upside. Certainly, again, a lot of risk, but it highlights the fact that I'm willing to gamble on these guys that have the strong scouting reports. And that, that may you know, end up coming back to bite me. He's one of the few pitching prospects I would have traded up for. Um, but it was largely driven by the Baseball America scouting report. Um, you know, I say the did other thing. You, yeah, go ahead. Did you have any conversations with the White Sox or the Tigers about trading down at the top of the draft? You know, I thought about that. Because um, I, I, I think, I, I mean, assuming one of those guys wasn't in love with Green, um, I think the consensus was Green was the fourth best player in this draft. Like, I, I haven't seen too many lists lists where he was above four. So actually, I don't think I've seen any. Yeah, Sam, by the way, said he would have taken Lesko at twenty. So uh, I'm glad I yeah. glad we to get him. Um, yeah, look, I, I thought about that uh, trading down, um, and it, that may have been kind of a smart, uh, you know, smart move from a you know gaming you know position uh, in terms of just accumulating more picks. Um, at the end of the day, there were a couple factors that made it more difficult. Harry um, obviously is in a different time zone, um, which made it work, difficult to work out a trade in time to, to make it work. Um, 
we had a few talks earlier in the draft, but it wasn't clear to me who he was taking, and I did not want to lose out on, on taking Green. Um, you know, I so I would have been guessing a little bit. Um, so I mean, keeping in mind that you know, rightly or wrongly, Green was one on my board, right? And I didn't want to get cute and trade down to three and then end up with a guy that I liked but didn't love as much as Green. Um, so at the end of the day, I just decided I'll stand pat. If Harry had been up and in our time zone, I might have had a conversation with him at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think I could have gone down to three and still got green um, and picked up some extra picks. Um, but the fact that he was, I think, in Australia at the time uh, or somewhere other than New Zealand where he normally is, wherever he was, he was not in our time zone. It was a big time difference. He was asleep uh, and on autopilot. Um, but just finishing the thought on the draft at the, you know, the end, um, I had like several fourth and fifth round picks and I just went to town on the J15s in those rounds. And to me, that's exactly kind of the sweet spot for them where our, I was able to pick up a whole bunch of them, um, including two guys I really like. Um, Ruben Santana is one of them, who was one of Baseball America's breakout prospects um, in, the, in the Rangers system. And he got a 60 power, 60 speed grade from them. Um, and he did fairly well in the DSL last year, uh, albeit in a small sample size. But I think he's a really exciting prospect. And he's, you know, in the fifth round. That, I was, that was kind of a no-brainer for me. And then, um, you know, Justin Lawrence was the guy I picked up in the fourth round from the A's. Uh, excuse me, not Justin Lawrence, uh, Butler, Lawrence Butler um, from the A's. He then proceeded to have a really hot spring, got a lot of notoriety. So he's a guy who's probably going to rise up lists, um, you know, this uh, preseason. But, um, you know, to pay that acquisition cost, um, you know, it was really worth it to me. And, uh, you know, I just I really trusted the process and in, in the scouting uh, to do that. That's why I accumulated those late picks and figure I could get guys that were better than, you know, the college batters who are like 45 grades overall who are left at that level in the fifth, fourth and fifth round. Um, but that was the, the theory of replenishing my minor league system. Cause I only had, I only had eight guys going into the draft. So, you know, I needed, I needed a lot of picks. I was going to note that to me, the draft season like begins at the end of the end of the regular season, like in, in a league like ABL, like everyone's kind of looking for draft picks and excited about the draft picks like you were, Steve. But yeah. like, as an alternative, I can kind of take advantage of that. And I, I was looking at my minors and trying to figure out how many players, how many minor leaguers I actually traded for after the end of the last ABL season. And there's like seven or eight of my 20. So I, I made trades with with Cal, with Sam, with uh, Allen, and with Duke, and uh, with uh, Jake Diamondbacks Jake, and got a lot of guys I liked. You know, making those trades, and really kind of changed the shape and the look of my minor league. So to me, like I factor the acquisition of all those players into my draft haul when I think yep. about it. Yep. No, that's fair. And that's a fair way to look at it, too, in terms of analytics, but, you know, game roster construction theory, you know, basis. Um, yeah, I just counted mine. I've 11 of my minor league players I've traded for since October. Yep. Yep. I think Which is, I mean, that's why that's why I was OK having one pick, because I my system is pretty well stocked. I was actually over 20 players going into the draft and. Basically, anything that wasn't a high first round pick was traded away because, yeah. I got, you know, I traded later first and second round picks for guys like Canario and Alexander Ramirez um, and like uh, Zoo, Zoo Welta, or however you say his name, and Owen White and guys like that. So, um, 
it was kind of like these guys are already fairly close to the majors or at least have some some at bats and some innings under their belt. So I'll I'll take that rather than the lottery ticket. Yep. Yep. No, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, and I think, you know, that was one of the interesting differences that we had in the approach because I basically gutted my system prior to the draft to acquire major league talent. Um, and then with the theory that I could, because the draft was so deep this year with the two J2 classes and a really strong first year player class that I could just make up the players with the number of picks I was acquiring at the same time. Um, so I think, you know, you could kind of like peel the onion either way and kind of get to the same place. Um, but, you know, there's certainly a lot of acquisition to trade away your excess major league talent that you can take, you know, take advantage of between October and, you know, the draft time period, um, putting aside that freeze we have in place and making trades, which drives everybody crazy. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that also starting the process in July for me, when I start my draft process uh, with baseball America's first year player draft rankings, when they first come out, really kind of like emboldened me to take that strategy because I felt there was just so much depth in the class. Uh, and I felt good a lot about, you know, about a lot of the guys in the class to do that. Um, so last topic of the evening, I know we've gone a little bit longer than I anticipated. Um, just wondering if you had any kind of, you know, crushes or fades going into the draft or whether there are certain guys I'll open it up to on your roster that you really have fallen in love with, that you're really you know, excited about. So Jeff, why don't we start with you? Uh, well, I wasn't necessarily focusing on my own roster because I'm in yeah. a lot of different dynasty leagues, but, uh, for my crushes right now, um, I think talked about Gabriel Gonzalez earlier. I just expect him to ascend from everything I've read. I like his approach. Um, I don't, I think I love Seattle's system, the way they develop players. Um, I know, Kalenic aside, but I mean, I think it's kind of, he's gotten in his own head. He, he should be a star. The only thing in the way is, is himself. But, you know, so many players have ascended through that system in recent years. And I expect, especially, especially the bats. Um, Mason Wynn would be my other crush right now for the Cardinals because I've been watching him all spring. And obviously Jordan Walker's getting the headlines. Yeah, he should. He's going to break camp with the Cardinals and he's going to be amazing. And yeah, we, us us Cardinal fans have been gushing over Walker for years now. It's not, this isn't news to us, but, but, but I think Wynn is right behind him. And I I think he's, I think he's going to be the next Ozzy Smith in St. Louis. I really do. He's just, that's high praise. That's high praise. It is. (laughs) Wynn has that it factor. You can tell he loves the game. He's, he's got a magnetic personality and he's incredible on defense. And, uh, just going to be a force for the Cardinals for years and years. And I, I think he's underrated on prospect list personally. I think he's underrated on your rankings too, Steve. No, that's um, playing baseball America, man. And baseball HQ. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you'll see him, you know, come up um, and he'll, he'll naturally percolate up in the rankings for me too on the handbook because of his proximity as it gets stronger. Right. And he's, he's another guy who's ahead of his years. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, he's, he's definitely very cool. And I, I, I have the, I have a Jordan Walker signed baseball behind me that I got for 50 bucks. Wow. Yeah. More than 50 now, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Duke? Uh, crushes, fades, uh, prospects um, falling in love with. So fades, the, there's a couple that I think have a, a high chance of pulling a Joe Adele. Uh, one's Oscar Colas. Uh-huh. Right. I've talked about this a couple of times in the chat. Like he's having a great spring. I think he has one strikeout and 30 at bats or something like that, but he has one walk as well. Yeah. 
So I think he's really setting up a lot of, especially like, I think for dynasty, it's fine. Like, you know, invest in him if you, if you think he's going to be good in the future. But I think if you're trying, if you're drafting him for redraft, I think you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, Cause one, he may not make the team and two, I think he kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> so that's definitely one fade. who has got a lot of hype right now. Um, another is, this is probably controversial and a hot take, but Jackson Cheerio. Interesting. Um, Interesting. All right, tell me about that. So I actually own him in Flug. I I was on him pretty early. But trade off for incoming. Yeah. <laughs> I've, actually thought about, I've actually thought about putting him on the block. <laughs> but um, I just think he got so much hype in Helium last year. And he kind of struggled as he was, and granted, he was still very, very young for, for each level. But he definitely struggled a bit as he was getting promoted. Um, so do I think he's going to be a good baseball player? Yes. Do I think he is going to be, you know, a perennial all-star and future Hall of Famer? Eh, I don't know about that. Right. So, Interesting. Interesting. Um, Maybe at the apex so, of his value from a dynasty. What's that? He may be at the apex of his value from a dynasty perspective. Yeah, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I think. Like he was, I think he was the number one prospect on a couple lists, and mm-hmm. I just don't think he's that. I don't think he's there. And same with Ellie De La Cruz. I just, yes, it, it's very sexy, the home runs and the steals, but the hit tool. I don't know if it's going to be good enough. Yep. Um, so I'm I'm I actually traded him in ABL four. Yep. Yeah. Um, I traded, I traded Dela Cruz for similar reasons in other leagues as well. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. The two players you identified, both of them are really hot prospects and, and great athletes. Um, they've both been aggressively pushed by their organizations. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen the struggles, um, uh, given their youth relative to the level they're at. Um, and some, some players aren't ready for that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust this year. Whereas other yeah. players, actually you know succeed like jordan walker did and that, that is very telling um and to some extent andrew painter and yuri Perez as well although each of them you know had adjustment periods too when they got promoted we do have to be a little a little tempered and taking victory laps before these guys have seen the majors though right i mean yeah 100 percent. um they got to do it in the show and you know, it's like uh, the Bull Durham speech that Crash Davies gets nuclear loose. They're going to light you up like a pinball machine, right? right. Uh, and stay, you know, <laughs> stay cocky and arrogant. Um, you know, um, but yeah. I mean, have- Max Scherzer's going to find out what Jordan Walker's holes are. and Oh, sure. Him, you know, it's going to happen. So. Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, you already saw Sango strike him out and make him look like right. a fool. Uh, you know, it, it, that's going to happen. Um, well, I was, I mean, I was teasing Jeff because a couple, like maybe a month ago, because he likes to rip on O'Neill Cruz strikeout rate against lefties last year. Yeah. Uh, but guess who had a better stri- uh, swinging strike rate in the majors last year than Jordan Walker had in double a, that would be <laughs> one O'Neill Cruz. So one player's so getting, like, getting worse though. I mean. Well, we'll I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see where they end up. Well, as, uh, as the so in APL, I love the kid. Yeah. No, I think Cruz is going to be fine. I think the like split thing is way overstated. He never had any issues in the minor leagues against lefties. And um, I think he's going to be fine. You you bring up an interesting point about prospects, both of you guys, in terms of when they hit the majors and the struggles and what you do with them in terms of your evaluation. And I think that's where you really have to be patient Um, because 
you know, Cruz is a good example. I mean, he, he did struggle mightily against lefties last year, but it's his first cut at the majors. It's not surprising to see him struggle against lefties. The left-handed pitchers going against left-handed hitters there are very sophisticated, very hard to hit major league pitching, period. Um, and you did see glimpses of the elite athleticism the kid has. Um, and the power is very real. Um, and so I think it's very important for a guy like that, you know, not to sell low on him. Uh, he's a guy I'm buying if people are like, you know, oh, are, for sure. Right. Yeah. And not cheap this year though. No, no. In fact, I think, you know, there's no discount on him. Um, right. I, I just see I saw him go for $18 in. I've seen him go ahead of Swanson and Bogart. People tend to fall in love with these. Yeah, I mean, in Roto, he's going to steal way more bases than those guys, even if he does suck yeah. against lefties. Yeah, no, I think, look, what you have to be worried about in redraft for him is whether there's any platoon. I, I don't think Pittsburgh's going to open with platoon. I think they're just going to no. give him And um, I'm definitely buying. Um, but, you know, with Jordan Walker, if he comes up and struggles, like, um, I'm in. Like, you know, um, I love the kid's makeup, and he's got tremendous raw power um, as well. I think it's going to be really exciting in uh, the real life in, in NL Central to see those two guys hitting home runs uh, for the next, like, 15 years, potentially. Um well, the, the Cruz will be on the Yankees within the next like four or five years. But yeah, yeah I, I get the point. I'm sorry about that. Um, Walker will probably end his career with the Cardinals. <laughs> so probably. yeah, um, sorry about that for you as a Pirates fan. Um, so I, I got to go. I got to hit my crutch up because I need to take a dig at Jeff. Um, so Sammy Zavala is my big crush this year. I, I think I have him in every dynasty league. I've overpaid for him. And yeah, complete complete shot in the dark but he went up to a a ball last year as a 17 year old and kill it so um like really good exit velocities good approach like his his strikeout rate was high but if you look at his swinging strike rate it was i can tell you what it is i haven't pulled up right now and meanwhile alan had a pizza bet comment i'm wondering what the pizza bet is on no. I, I would pizza bet that Zavala is a better player than um, who's the guy you like, Emmanuel or no, Gabby Gonzalez. I would because I've had this conversation with Jeff a little bit because uh, Zavala is six months younger than Gonzalez and right. arguably better at a ball last year. Um, I, I sense a pizza bet coming up on this right we now. We just have to figure out the terms. Yeah, I'm not sure how to. I'm not sure how to if the uninitiated that is, uh, you know, uh, betting with the cost of a pizza over a uh, subject matter for the uninitiated, um, I want a piece of that. No, I, 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 I don't. Velocity. I can't make a hard argument as to like why Gonzalez is going to be better than Zavala. Is, is, is Sam Aaron's brother? Are they just happen to have the same last name? Or I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I think uh, Sammy is an international guy, and Aaron, I think, oh, okay. played college college ball. Okay. I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he might be. I actually, I actually saw your love for Z- Zavala, like given to me to trade for him in one league too. So sometimes when you see a good player really in on a guy, kind of. Uh, well, that, yeah, goes to the point I was making earlier, right? I mean, like you, you see Duke picking him up and falling in love with him, like oh, maybe there's something there. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, Jeff, Jeff's loved a lot of guys, and I'm like, oh, I need to take a closer look here. And now I, I like you. a couple years ago, you were telling me how great. Hoskins was, and I was like, eh, he kind of sucks. And then I, I ended up having Hoskins on all my teams that year. 
yeah. I was gonna say my my fade real quick. I didn't get into uh, yeah. actually it's actually Spencer Jones on the Yankees, yeah. and I know I know he was getting a lot of hype, but I, I really kind of think that was the Yankees hype machine at full force. Like I just want I think actually got to see this kid live and he struck out looking just awful every time he was up. Like he'd never seen a breaking ball in his life. And he's huge. Yes. But yep. I just, folks need to understand if they're drafting him, this kid's four or five years away. He's, he's, he's not even remotely close. And it wasn't just those couple of bats I watched. I kind of dug deeper and looked into some of his, his stats and watched some more of his at bats throughout the, throughout the minor league season. And, and, and he's struggling mightily up there. And yeah, I, He's got some holes in that swing. Those the big levers, those long levers. He does. He's he, he hasn't figured it out like Walker and uh, some and O'Neill and Cruz and some of the other big guys have. So, well, I mean, it took uh, it took Judge a little longer than normal. I've heard that the taller guys. Um, yeah. I've heard that for a couple of the taller players, it takes a little bit longer. Yep, right. that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and look, I think you know, Spencer Jones is one of those guys who may struggle uh, when he gets to a little bit higher level, and maybe that's the time for pounds to get him. Yeah. Um, you know, because he may he may go lower, his 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 value, market value may drop. Um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, well, listen, guys, I, I really enjoyed the discussion. I know I kept you a little bit longer than we anticipated, but I think it was interesting and lively, and I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Hope you guys will you know get on board later in the year. Uh, we'll have a you know maybe a, a recap about how our prospects have done in you know their first full season in the minors, uh, and see if I was right on Elijah Korean or wrong. Uh, and you know, Duke, you can hold me to the fire on that. Um, but, uh, you know, thanks so much. Uh, I loved having you on the show and, um, hope you guys, hope the people watching it enjoyed it as well. And, uh, you know, we want to keep people to remember to, uh, ABP always be prospecting. All right. I'll see you guys later. Thanks everybody. Have a good night. Yeah.